say. Okay, why don't you say it? This is where? Koprivnica. In Croatia, and this is August 3rd, 2019. And we're going to be meditating on the Bhagavad Gita and how we can find Krishna in the world. So this is from a book that I am... You could move over a little bit, please. <laughs> or you could sit here if you want, but if you're all the way there. So this is from a book that I am writing with another devotee. Her name is Kamalasita. And we've been working on this for several years. Actually, I started working on this many, many years ago. And it is taking the statements from the Bhagavad Gita, from the 7th, 9th, 10th, and 15th chapter, where Krishna says how we can find him in the world. That is this section. Uh, we also have a section on the descriptions of the universal form in the Bhagavatam, but I'm, I didn't bring that today. And we have a section on Krishna's 64 qualities from Nectar of Devotion and how we can see those in the world. And then we also have a section, which I published in Back to Godhead many years ago, about how to see Krishna in earth, water, fire, air, and space. So this will be the first time that I'm teaching this section. I've taught earth, water, fire, air, and space many dozens of times all over the world. I think once in a Croatian camp. Pretty sure I did many years ago. So this is the first time I'm doing this. So you please tell me how you like this. And what we're planning to do, there's one uh, second-generation devotee, Nadia Bihari, Devi Dasi. She's making an illustration for each of these meditations. And then we have this uh, professional photographer who's a devotee. Her name is uh, Bhaktin Jamie. And she is going to have a picture of nature, a photograph of nature for each meditation. And we are hoping BBT Africa will publish. That is the plan. And then we can give everyone a way to remember Krishna when we are in our ordinary day. Because I see that in ISKCON, more and more, and this is a good thing, we are having japa retreats and kirtan retreats and deity worship seminars and Bhagavatam. And so when we are chanting our japa and our Gayatri and reading, then hopefully <laughs> we are remembering Krishna. Maybe when we are chanting japa we are not remembering Krishna, I don't know, but hopefully. But then in the rest of the day we forget taking care of our job, our family, and we forget. And I am personally convinced that the main way that we are going to bring Krishna consciousness to the world is not just giving them a system of meditation and worship for a few hours a day, but giving a way that we can bring an awareness of Krishna in every moment of our lives. And my personal conviction is that, oh, forest flowers. Wow. This is for my garden. Whoa. 
Very nice. These are black-eyed Susans, huh? No. No, they're not. What are they? These flowers. Yes, sunflowers. Little. Oh, they're little sunflowers. So they're not black-eyed Susans. They're immature sunflowers. <laughs> okay. And then, then what are these? Fennel. Fennel. You put them in a garland instead of in the subji. <laughs> and what? Mint, also. We'll make this into a tea after the class. So this we can also remember. Oh yes, this is a bigger sunflower. It's starting, <laughs> starting to turn. Well, actually, why don't we start with this garland? Okay, let's start with the garland. So when we see these little sunflowers, what can we think? about Krishna. How can they remind us of Krishna? Yellow dhoti. His yellow dhoti. And Krishna's dhoti is sometimes called yellow, sometimes saffron colored. Because when you put the saffron into something, it becomes a yellow. And what else? How else is the dhoti described? His eyes uh, is like a sun. Oh... So the sunflower reminds us of Krishna's eyes because it said the sun is Krishna's eyes. Krishna's eye is the sun. Anything else with these flowers? A little bit. Okay. Anything else from this? Prabhupada says that on... Sunflower oil, we are frying uh, pakora, which we offer. <laughs> <laughs> he wants me to end the class very early. <laughs> yes. But I'm also thinking with the, the sunflowers, we get these seeds, and Krishna says he is the seed of everything. And this one here, it is... Starting, it's starting to think about making its seeds, right? These are very young. These are like baby ones. But this one is starting to think about making the seeds. And in the seed is the concentrated energy of the plant. So when Krishna says, I am the seed, he is the concentrated form of everything. Yes, and we are, yes, he says, well, that's when he says, he says, I am the seed-giving father. But he also says, I am the seed. Yes. Okay, anything else here? What about these flowers? Anything with these flowers? These ones. Oh, Krishna has... How many parts of his body are reddish? He has lips. What else? His hands, his feet, his eyes also. Yes, yes. All right, what about the mint? 
Very, and how does that remind us of Krishna? When he is sick, we can offer. When Krishna is sick. <laughs> this is very rustic and devotee here. She's thinking when Krishna is sick, we will make him mint tea. How else can we remember? You should be giving the class. I should be <laughs> sitting there. How else can the mint remind us of Krishna? What? Green color, like Lord Ram. Oh, green color, like Lord Ram. What were you saying, also? This is a fragrance of this symbol of earth. Yes, and Krishna says he is the fragrance in the earth, and so we find that. The earth has so many fragrances in it, and we think, what is what does Krishna smell like? So he smells like we know musk and a guru and camphor mixed together, but also it's four, right? Musk, a guru, camphor. What else is the other one? There's another. No. Sandalwood. Yes, but he also must smell like mint because he says, "I am the fragrance of the earth." And the mint. Reminds a little bit on camphor. It's similar to camphor. I think it has some overlapping chemical composition between milk, mint, and camphor. Also, yes. Okay. How else can we? Oh, what are these? <laughs> what is what is this? This is an herb, and it's it's very soft. It's very soft leaves. So how does this? A rabbit's ear. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe in America we call this lamb's ear. I think. So how does this remind us of Krishna? Krishna is so soft. It's explained. Krishna is so soft that if a leaf touches him, he changes color. For me to change color, I have to really like push, you know. But for Krishna, just some little leaf. He's so soft, and even though he's so soft, he's still very strong. Yeah. What about the whole garland? Oh, Krishna has the the Vajayanti garland. Yes, yes. Goes to his knees. Yeah. What else? This is his uh, eternal uh, decoration. Ah, so Krishna loves to wear necklaces of flowers, and I think in most religions they don't think of God like that. They think of God. He's just wearing, you know, diamonds or something. But he likes to wear, and he likes to wear forest flowers. You know, in most of our temples, we are getting very cultivated flowers. But he likes to wear the wild flowers. What else can this garland? How can it remind us of Krishna? Sankirtan movement. All flowers exist together and serve together. Oh, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. You all know my god sister Narayani? Does she come here ever? Does she come sometimes here? But you know her. So she told me that for many years when she was chanting japa, every bead she was thinking of a flower. I'm giving Krishna a flower, I'm giving Krishna a flower. And after some time she thought of them as jivas. I'm 
helping this jiva come to Krishna, I'm helping this jiva. So it's very nice you're seeing this as all the different devotees, they come together to make a beautiful garland to offer to the Lord. What else that we could think from the whole garland? That Krishna says that uh, everything rests on me like a pearl is on a thread. Oh, Sutra Manigana Iva. Very nice. So this garland maker was very expert. And so it's very difficult to see the thread. I think I found right here a little bit. <laughs> so in the same way, Krishna is hiding. But you know it must be a thread. Yeah, if there was no thread, it would just fall. So we look at everything and we are seeing, where is Krishna? But there is order. And because there is order, we know there must be a thread. Yes? Anything else one can see from this? Uh, a snake. A snake? Yes. Oh, and how does that remind you of Krishna? And, uh, we have many Parabala, Analogia. Analogia. Analogy. Yes, we do. Krishna's arms are like a snake. Radharani's braid is like a snake. Any more? Okay, but that's what it just is. Everything beautiful in this world is just a splendor. Ah, just a spark. So even this is very beautiful, so how beautiful must Krishna be? I'm also thinking that each flower is a little different. You know, each one is a little different. Even if you look at this, um, this here, where you have a bunch of little flowers on the same place, each of them is a little different from the others. And how Krishna likes so much variety. There's so much individuality. Each of us is a little different, even identical twins. They're a little different. And that Krishna really likes variety. By the way, I'm very grateful that who, that who made this, that this is soft, because sometimes they give you the garland with this string. You feel like your head is going to be cut off. And then you always have to take it and put it like this, you know, so it won't won't go so I am also seeing in this Krishna says he is the ability in human beings so the ability to grow the flowers to pick them to string them to have he says I'm intelligence the intelligence to make a soft part in the back (laughs) so that is Krishna okay so I'm thinking that I'll try to read some of these and then maybe we can discuss. You can tell me if you like this or not. So we put together sometimes the similar descriptions from various places in the Bhagavad Gita. So this was putting together the I am the light of the moon. Among stars I am the moon. I am the splendor of the moon. 
and as the moon I give the juice of life to all vegetables. So this is the meditation that we have written about the moon. The moon and its light has been the stuff of mystery, intrigue, and magic for as long as people can remember. The light of the moon fills us with a sense of wonder, and its silvery rays are in ways much more soothing than the rays of the sun. In the same way, Krishna is the ultimate source of mystery and allure. You know what is allure? Attractiveness. And whenever we look at the moon, we can think of Krishna. We can see the moon as one of Krishna's eyes, set on the dark expanse of the night sky, like Krishna's skin. Sometimes Krishna looks at us with an eye wide open as the full moon, and sometimes he's winking at us as the crescent moon. It is also said that the moonlight gives juice to vegetables, and some fruit juice brands also have a full moon harvest option. Because the moon gives more flavor, and in such a way we can meditate on how Krishna supplies our own life with juice and flavor. Was that okay? <laughs> it was on the top, but I, it will be on the top. If I go... It's always must, uh, much more difficult to translate than the normal talk. Yeah. If I got to your middle, I would speak so slowly, everybody would fall asleep. This is the problem. So, it ha as long as you can do it. Can you do it? Yes, I can. Okay. <laughs> no. I should have done that. That would have been intelligent. And Krishna says he is the intelligence of the intelligence. So, I don't know where he was. <laughs> When I asked that he must have been hiding behind a tree somewhere. Okay, why don't we do... Well, I'll ask you. Okay, we have the sun. You want the sun? Yes. Yes. Krishna comes in the family of the moon. Oh, I'll ask you. Any other thoughts about Krishna as, as moon? Light of the moon? The moon among the stars? The splendor of the moon? You can help me write the book, you see. His toenails are like Oh. That is very nice. That Krishna's toenails are like the moon's. That is very nice. Anybody else? How the moon can remind us of Krishna? Hiranyakashipu. No, now you're going to the nails. Now you're going, going, going. Long nails. Yeah, that, that's lightning. That's not moon. Yeah. See, this is Krishna consciousness. <laughs> it, it is, it is. You see, there's, there's what we call stages of meditation. This is taught in the nectar. Well, where is it taught? Where are the stages of meditation taught? No, sorry. That was a good guess, but not correct. No, but the yoga. 
Yeah, but not the <coughs> stages of meditation in Bhagavad Gita. Meditation, yes, but stages, no. So you get half credit. We'll give you half a maha sweet for that one. Anybody some idea where the stages stages of meditation? Can you all hear me? Yes. Okay. In uh, nectar of instruction. Yes, nectar of instruction. Which purport? Um, can I, I guess two? Oh, sorry. You also get half right. We give her the other half of the suit. Eight. Very good. It's in Nectar of Instruction, text eight. So this is your homework, home fun. (laughs) (laughs) And Bhaktivinoda speaks in many places about the stages of meditation. Anybody know where Bhaktivinoda talks about it? Three places. Maybe four, but at least three. Could be. That could be. No, no. Yes, about the stages of meditation? Well, Bhajana Rahasya is a very interesting book. And maybe someday in some lifetime I will be qualified to give a class on the Bhajana Rahasya. Uh, that is a book that can transform your chanting, especially in Kirtan. But that's not today's class. Who of you have been to Bhaktivedanta Manor? How many of you have been to Bhaktivedanta Manor? So in Bhaktivedanta Manor there's a garden dedicated to George Harrison. And that whole garden is based on Bhaktivinoda's Bhajana Rahasya. But Bhajana Rahasya is a very high book. So, no. Meditation stages. It's in Jaiva Dharma and Harinam Chintamani and in Bhaktivinoda's commentary on the 11th verse of Manashiksha, also mentioned by Jiva Goswami in his Bhakti Sandarbha, and I'm pretty sure that all the other ones are coming from there. Prabhupada, in the purport to the Nectar of Instruction, text 8, he is uh, quoting Bhakti Siddhanta. Anyway, this was a diversion. But in the stages of meditation, there's interrupted and uninterrupted. And the uninterrupted, which is a subcategory, there's five big categories and then five subcategories. So in the second subcategory of the third stage, you go from interrupted to uninterrupted. And uninterrupted means you think one thing about Krishna and that leads you to think of another thing about Krishna, which leads you to think of another thing. And our mind is very good at this. Yes, we all have this experience. We think of something and that reminds us of something else. And that reminds us of something else. And that, and then we say, what was we, we talking about? Yeah, you forget. So we went from the moon to Krishna's toenails to Nasinga Dave. <laughs> so that is a good example of uninterrupted meditation. Congratulations. That is third stage, part two. Very nice. Anything else with Krishna and the moon? He has the cheeks 
uh, as a moon. Oh, yes. Yes, actually it said that he is 24 and a half moons. What is the half? 24 and a half. What is the half moon? What is the half moon? Krishna's forehead is his half moon. So, yes. Anything else we can think of as Krishna and the moon? The Rasalila, yes. If you look at the moon, when you walk, he always goes with you. So, Krishna is Paramatma. Oh, very nice. And in fact, Srila Prabhupada gives that himself. He says that he was traveling with one of his children, and the child asked, Why is the moon always following us? Yes. So, in the same way, there's only one Krishna, but he is following each of us. Isn't that sweet? Wherever we go, he is following each of us. Anything else that we can meditate on Krishna with the moon? Yes. Ah, Mahaprabhu, he appeared like the moon out of the ocean. And of course, Nityananda, his lotus feet are compared to millions of moons. Many, many millions of moons. So, is the moon coming out tonight? You think so? <laughs> we will we will look it up and we will see. This this is now our brain in Kali Yuga, you know. You want to know anything, you just So this says that today the moon rose at eight twelve in the morning and it will set at ten PM tonight. So maybe we'll see it a little bit at least. And then we can remember all these things, whatever thing you like, any of these things we talked about or even other things, we can remember when we see the moon. All right, let's take another one. Ah, so here's the section I just randomly opened to something here. So here's, we have a section where Krishna says how he's all these things in women. So which one would you, would, would you like from women? We have fame, fortune, fine speech, memory, steadfastness, and patience. Everything. Everything you want. Now the men will become impatient. Okay, let's do the patience in women. So this is what we wrote for that one. That Krishna is the patience of a woman. So throughout the world's sacred writings, it is stated that women should voluntarily place themselves as subordinate to men as a daughter, wife, or mother of a grown son. But men in this world are imperfect in so many ways. You did not hear that. <laughs> Subject to making mistakes even when well-intended. And often they are ill-intended, under the sway of lust, anger, greed, and other aspects of the mode of nature. That is not you, that's other men out in the world. <laughs> Yet there are women who are patient with them, 
giving sage advice along with service and such patience is Krishna. A good example in the scriptures is Gantari, who patiently served her misguided husband, Dhritarashtra, while lovingly advised him to seek peace and reconciliation with his nephews. You know what reconciliation means? When you fix something. Something is broken between people and you fix it. Krishna is also patient with the wayward souls. You know wayward means? You have gotten off the way. You have gotten off of the path. Serving them as a voice of conscience. You understand voice of conscience? Yeah. And the words of scripture. Krishna serves the conditioned souls as does a patient wife, giving them sun, water, food, and even minds and bodies according to their desire. The patience of women is also widely seen in motherhood, even among women who are not patient with their husbands or other men. Especially young children require mothers to exercise tremendous patience. Did you understand that English? Yes? No? You're not yes. sure? Yes? Okay. It takes thousands of repetitions for children to learn the simplest things. Young children want to hear, say, or watch the same thing literally thousands of times. And children cause much mischief and chaos in their playful and curious behavior. Yet mothers are extraordinarily patience, patient, and this patience of women is also Krishna. Indeed, Lord Brahma compares the patience of Krishna with the foolishness of conditioned souls to a pregnant woman who tolerates the kicking of her unborn child. Krishna is always patient with the aspiring transcendentalist. Do you know what that means? Yes. Someone who's trying to be a devotee? Whose surrender and faith matures in what is generally a very gradual way. So whenever, uh, whenever we ladies, whenever we are patient with our husbands, we can meditate how Krishna is also patient with us. And you gentlemen, when your wife is patient with you, maybe you don't even notice, but you try to notice. And that is Krishna. And when you see a woman being patient with her children, if you're not patient with your children, you will go a little crazy. I always say of three choices. You give the child away, you go crazy, or you become patient. And when you see the women being patient with their children, you think, this is Krishna, how patient Krishna is with me. And whenever we see some misbehavior in someone else, we can think, oh, but Krishna is patient. Krishna is patient like a woman is patient with her husband or with her children. Any other thoughts on that? Krishna says he's the patience of women. Yes. Tolerating the offenses to him? Well, Devaki tolerating. Oh, Krishna tolerating Kamsas. Yes. 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 And Devaki tolerating. Yes. Any other thoughts about Krishna being the patience of women?
The gopis are very patient with Krishna. Yes. All these high devotees here in this system. <laughs> They still love him, even though the gopis are not always satisfied, yes. Okay. Was that helpful? Did you find this meditation helpful? Then you can bless me that we can produce this book. Huh? So let's find another one. Okay. Let's see. What about a fishes? I am the shark. Should we do that one? Okay. The Sanskrit word used in the Gita is makara, an important aquatic creature in the scriptures. Makara also means the zodiac sign. Does anyone know which zodiac sign is Capricorn? A traditional makara is usually depicted, you understand depicted, shown, drawn, drawn, as a land animal in the front like an elephant, and an aquatic, you all know what an aquatic lives in the water, in the back. Krishna, and you've seen, you see this on the Indian bracelets for the ladies, if you've seen like the silver bracelets at the edge, it looks like an elephant's trunk sometimes, but if you look carefully, it's not an elephant, it's a makara. Krishna wears earrings shaped like makaras, and the makara is the vehicle for the goddess who. What goddess goes on a makara? This is a hard question because sometimes she is shown on a different creature. The, the Ganga. Sometimes they show the Ganga on a crocodile. But actually, in the Shastra, says it's a makara. Also, the makara is the de- is the vehicle for Varuna, and also for Cupid. Now, Srila Prabhupada usually translates makara as crocodile, shark, or dolphin. So, in some places he says crocodile, in some places he says shark, and in some places he says dolphin. So, it's not very likely that we are going to meet a makara in our life. But we do read about and see pictures or sometimes see a live shark, crocodile, or dolphin. These animals display power and cleverness and they all fascinate humans, right? Are we fascinated by sharks and crocodiles and dolphins? Yes? Sharks and crocodiles can remind us of how Krishna is supremely expert in all that he does patient for us to come to him and hungry for love. Like Krishna's incarnation of Nisingadeva, he is frightening to evildoers, but the devotees know that he is their well-wisher and will never harm them. Dolphins can remind us of the Lord's playfulness, helpfulness, and supreme intelligence. There are also many analogies regarding fish in the scriptures that can remind us whenever we see some fish of the Lord. For example, the conditioned soul is compared to a fish out of water 
and the Lord's eyes are compared to the beauty of a pair of swimming fish. So, any other thoughts about how among all the fish Krishna is the makara? Yes. Goswami compares pure devotees as sharks that are down deep in the waters of Very nice. Matsya. Ah, that Krishna actually is a fish. <laughs> the incarnation of Krishna is actually a fish. Any other thoughts? Water. Yes. Okay, of purifiers the wind. So yesterday, I don't know if it was here, but in Zagreb we had a rain and a very high wind. Did you have that here too also? You didn't. But we had in Zagreb. It didn't last long, maybe half an hour, an hour. It was very short. But it was strong, strong wind. And if you had a window open, the rain was coming in. So Krishna says, of purifiers I am the wind. And it, it's interesting because this Sanskrit word, Pavana means both wind and purifying. So I can tell this one was written by Kamala Sita because she's from South Africa. So she wrote some of these, I wrote some of these. She edited mine, I edited hers. So anyway, she writes, in Cape Town, South Africa, so she wrote this for sure. There is a specific wind, the southeaster, that is called the Cape Doctor. It is so named because it blows away the smog. You know what is smog? Yes. That collects over Cape Town. Krishna says of purifiers, he is the wind. We can meditate on Krishna in this way whenever we feel a refreshing breeze blow on us. Whenever we get out into the opened air, after being cooped up, you know what it means cooped up? Like when you when people keep chickens and they keep them in a cage, the cage for chickens is called a coop. So if you're cooped up, you're like a chicken in a little cage. So whenever we get out into the open air, after being cooped up in an office all day, we can meditate on Krishna as the air that not only clears away material smog, but also the smog that collects in the sky of our minds. Any other thoughts about of purifiers, I am the wind? With our breath, when we chant Hare Krishna, the breath of wind, our sin goes away. Very nice. Do you hang your clothes outside sometimes? Yes. Doesn't it smell nice from the air? Yes. That the air, you know, in the modern day, they like to put artificial chemical fragrance in the... I hate that stuff. Oh, it's terrible. In the, in the washing 
powder, right? That's because people, if they don't hang the clothes outside, they don't smell very nice. So artificially, yes? Mm -hmm. But if you hang the clothes outside from the breeze, you get this nice mm -hmm. smell. That's why they call it breeze. Yes, that's it's supposed to imitate the breeze, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it, it purifies, it cleans everything, isn't it? Or if you go in some room, it's like musty, you know, and you open the windows... And Krishna is that purifier. Whenever we are out in the, the fresh breeze, we, t we can remember. Oh, Krishna is the ultimate purifier. There is one more thing uh, yes. which reminds me, is that uh, the wind, it comes everywhere. Mm. It goes everywhere. But is, it's not attached to any place it comes. Uh -huh. Krishna, he is everywhere, but he is detached for everything else. Very nice. This is the thing in the part of our book where we talk about earth, water, fire, air, ether. Then we have that kind of a meditation. When we're just talking about how air in general reminds us of Krishna. Okay. Okay, let's take, this is a long one, but we'll do this one. Of weapons, I am the thunderbolt, because I think we see lightning, yeah? You have thunderstorms here? Yeah. Okay. We struggle to keep up with life's problems. Where will the next month's rent come from? Where will my children go to school? Should I get married or not? Why is my spouse unhappy? Was it something I did or something at work? How am I going to deal with this difficult person? How am I going to get this through this difficulty? When will I have time for my japa? When will I find time to read? On and on, so many questions that bend our brains. And our brains are bending, bending, and then suddenly we get an inspiration and understanding. Oh! That is the answer to my problem. And we think of it like a light. Right? Even they show in the cartoons a light. So like a flash of lightning that just... Now we know what is the answer. There is something mystical... <laughs> there is something mystical about a thunderbolt. It has immense power and provides instant and intense... So fleeting light. You know what is fleeting? Very fast. We can think of it as nature's flash of inspiration. You understand inspiration? Yes. Much like the light bulb moments we sometimes have only a million times bigger. But we sometimes wonder why these brilliant flashes of inspiration don't stay longer. They light up our consciousness for a moment and we find the greatest sense of relief. And then the darkness of life's worries come rolling in like the unstoppable dark clouds that cover our consciousness again. But Krishna says that of weapons, he is the thunderbolt. He is the lightning that lights up our consciousness in a moment of realization. He is the flash of light the lamplight of knowledge, the lightning that illuminates our consciousness with knowledge, but also a weapon. 
not just a blazing show of luminescence, but a weapon. In this way, Krishna says that he is not only our light, but the weapon we can use against our material consciousness. All we have to do is use that flash of inspiration, then it becomes a weapon. But how else is Krishna a thunderbolt? Lightning is drawn to high places. We can think of how our high thinking can attract Krishna to us. Right, Prabhupada says, simple living, high thinking. Like a high tree attracts the lightning. Krishna is our weapon against Maya. And if Maya has found a way into our life and built a high tree of Anartas, Krishna can also use the lightning to destroy these trees that are rooted in our consciousness. So we may think of Krishna when we hear the thunder rolling closer, literally and figuratively. You understand that? In other words, when we hear disturbances, actual thunder or disturbances. We may think of Krishna's majesty when we see the flashes of lightning, but we may also think of the twinkle in his eye and how he wants to give us joy beyond our scope of understanding. We may think of Krishna's immeasurable protection during the thunderstorms of life in the same way that he protected the residents of Vrindavan against the flood. We may think of Krishna as our ultimate weapon and how he provides us with flashes of insight on how to deal with the situations in front of us in our daily life as well as in our preaching. <coughs> Unlike material lightning that only provides fleeting, in other words, very temporary light and energy, Krishna is eternal light and energy, and it is up to us to use the shock of light and energy that he gives us in these moments to push forward and grow in our spiritual life. Any other thoughts? And among weapons, I am the... Thunderbolt. Again, you are going to. Singadev is very popular here. Chakra. Chakra. Of course, the chakra is generally compared to the sun. But yeah, as a weapon, the chakra can be like a lightning bolt. Yes. We can see the lightning coming and think, oh, the Sudarshan Chakra. Any other thoughts? Krishna's dhoti. Oh, many times it's explained like that, that Krishna's dhoti is flashing like lightning. Is it something than side-alone glances of Radharani and Krishna? Or like lightning, yes. Actually, many times the gopis are compared to lightning and Krishna to the clouds. Any other way lightning can remind us of Krishna? When he says that he is the, among weapons, he is the lightning. Yes? Yes. Yes, the statement in the Bhagavatam is just like lightning and illumination occur simultaneously. So Narada Muni had death and his spiritual form happen simultaneously. 
Yes. The sign of uh, thunderbolt is on the Krishna's lotus feet. Oh, you're such one. This is so wonderful. It's so nice talking about Krishna with the devotees. Tushanticha, Ramanticha. She said the sign of the lightning is on Krishna's lotus feet. Whoa. So when you see lightning in the sky, you can think, oh, there's Krishna's feet. Very nice. Many pastimes with Indra and Bhagavatam. <laughs> All the pastimes with Indra and his lightning weapon. Yes, yeah, so, and Krishna says, I am that weapon. So, what did, can you tell me some of Krishna's Vajra, his lightning weapon in the Bhagavatam? Because Krishna says he is that weapon. Any? Who did who did Indra kill with that weapon? Vitrasura. Yes, yes, Vitrasura. Who did he try to kill with that weapon and it didn't work? Hanuman. Huh? Oh, he did send his his lightning bolt to Hanuman and it made a little mark on his chin. Yeah, but there was one demon Indra couldn't kill with his lightning weapon. There is a ch- a Chartur Shloka, uh, there, there is uh, uh, 10, 11. We said it lights with the lamp of knowledge. But that's not a lightning bolt of knowledge, but it, that's good. I was talking to you about it this morning, when we were talking about what prasadam we should bring on the airplane. Do you remember? Yes. <laughs> so what was the lightning bolt weapon there? Do you remember? So Indra's fighting with this demon. His name is Namuchi. Anybody remember where is this Leela? No, it is 8th Canto. Does that help? Now, where is the Leela? What Leela is it that Indra's fighting with Namuchi? It's an important Leela because it, it connects with Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan also. So Krishna, uh, Indra sends his lightning at Namuchi, and it doesn't work. And Indra gets very discouraged. And he says, what is the use of this lightning weapon? Then he hears a voice from the sky, says, this demon cannot be killed with anything wet or dry. We were talking about that, that when you take prasadam on an airplane today, you cannot bring anything wet through security. They will stop it. But so sometimes when people make something for me for travel, I say, you cannot bring anything, give me anything wet. And they give me something that's so dry, you're eating it. (laughs) You can't even eat it. So when Indra was told you cannot have wet or dry, he made a weapon out of foam. Because foam is, but I said, don't give me foam prasadam. I will not, I will not want to eat foam prasadam. But Indra was so discouraged when he when he uh, he he was going to just throw away his thunderbolt weapon. Yeah? So that that battle is important because there's also a demon there named Kalanimi. Kalanimi was riding on what kind of a creature? A lion. We, we've lost the children here, but that that battle was very interesting because if you read in that battle. What are the carriers they are riding on? 
they are riding on like red-faced monkeys and white-faced monkeys and ducks, I think. Imagine somebody going into battle riding on a duck. <laughs> Doesn't sound very heroic. You know, the man goes to his wife, put on my armor. <laughs> Bring me my duck. Hi, <laughs> Krishna. And, and they were also riding on deformed human beings. Why deformed human beings? I don't know. But anyway, Kalanimi was riding on a lion. And anybody know who killed Kalanimi? This is important. Lion. Who killed Kalanimi on the shore of the ocean of milk? This is important, everybody. Okay, Janmastami is coming up. Lord Vishnu. Why is that important? Who did Kalanimi become in his next life? Huh? Who? I gave you a hint. I said Janmastami is coming up. Who? Kamsa. Kalanimi became Kamsa. And Narada Muni comes to him and says, You were Kalanimi. And you were riding on a lion. And Lord Vishnu killed you. And he's going to come and do it again. <laughs> it's like sometimes we know people in our lives that if ever we try to discuss anything, they will defeat us. We know. If I try to say anything, this person will always defeat me. So he said, he did it once, he'll do it again. This is an interesting one. So Krishna says, of the senses, I am the mind. Did you ever think about your mind like that? Of senses, I am the mind. Now you don't. Now, now none of you like Krishna anymore. <laughs> now I've ruined your spiritual life. <laughs> it's like, oh no, Krishna is my mind. Oh, it's terrible. On the material platform, we are dependent on our senses to understand and react to the world. In order to read something or hear something, we require light or we require sound. Listening to our japa requires us to hear. Honoring prasadam requires us to taste. Feeling the artic flame or the drops of water on our head requires a sense of touch. There are five other working senses, but above all is the mind. The mind is our control room, the place where all information is collected and distributed accordingly. Given that our minds are a bit wild and unpleasant sometimes, it's bewildering to think that Krishna says that of senses, he is the mind. Would you like to join us? Please come. There's place here, place there. Mm. And if you need translation, you can go there. Oh, hello. Hare Krishna. Okay, I'm going to read this again. Given that our minds 
Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'll wait till he's settled. Okay, I'm going to read this again. Given that our minds are a bit wild and unpleasant sometimes, it's bewildering to think that Krishna says of senses he is the mind. But as bewildering as this thought is, it is also a great relief. Just as our mind is such a strong controlling force, Krishna is even stronger. Of controllers, Krishna is supreme. Thus, whenever our minds start to dictate our actions and thoughts and feelings, we can pause to think about Krishna and how he is the supreme controller. And in contrast to our mind, he endeavors to give us only what is necessary to come back to him and to engage our senses in his worship. There is a nice section in the Bhagavatam where Krishna is speaking to the gopis in Kurukshetra and explaining there that of the thinking, feeling, and willing, that is all his energy. And Srila Prabhupada comments that whenever we are using the mind, we are immediately in touch with Krishna because he is the mind. Any more thoughts on how of all the senses I am the mind, Krishna says. Is this for the mosquitoes? Yes. Does it work? I'm not a mosquito. <laughs> I hope not in this life anyway. No, no, again. Did you want to get rid of me? I just got here. Me. Oh, she wants to protect me. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking she's going to spray me. Then I will go away. Right now, they're not bothering me. You are all my shield, you see. <laughs> Any other thoughts on how Krishna says, of all the senses, I am the mind? Well, uh, we can think uh, as uh, our mind as the best, uh, best friend and the enemy. So if we make Krishna our friend, then it's very suspicious, but it's not good to make I really like that, especially because atheistic people, they see God as their enemy, right? And evil people, they see God as their enemy. Just like the criminal, they see the police officer as an enemy. But we can also have God as our friend. He is our best friend. So the mind can be enemy or friend, just like Krishna can be enemy or friend. And if the mind is our friend, our senses are controlled. Yes? Any other thoughts on how Krishna says, of all the senses, I am the mind? Yes. It's compared that uh, mind is like these things to... Uh, ah, the reins of the horses. Controlling the horses, the, the horses of the senses, yes. And this way I can see that Krishna can control my senses if I engage them in service. That is very nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a good one because we're going to eat soon. <laughs> <laughs> I join with the air of life, outgoing and incoming, to digest food.
Eating and digestion are what we humans do daily, generally more than once a day. Often, perhaps particularly in the modern world, such eating is thoughtless, and we simply assume digestion will work in its ideal form. Eating is also thoughtless in the sense that many people are eating meat, fish, and eggs, all disgusting results of horrible suffering and violence that are not designed for a human body to assimilate. Eating is thoughtless in the sense that people eat what is more the product of a laboratory than of the earth and the sun. Eating is thoughtless in the sense that people eat without a fraction of a second's thought to who has supplied the food and who supplies the ability to digest it. Before we eat, as we eat, afterwards as we digest, we feel the various movements of air within our body that move the food, combust it. You know what combust means? Uh, like a, a car is called, has a combustion engine, it burns it. And help it travel through the various channels. It is Krishna who joins with this air and does the miracle, changing sunlight, water, and minerals into plants, and then into our skin, our nails, our hair, our eyes, and all of our organs. Our whole body is a transformation of sunlight, water, and earth minerals. How marvelous, wonderful, and amazing is Krishna. But this air that moves the food and digests the food, Right? The first, the food has to go through the esophagus. It has to be moved through the esophagus. Uh, many years ago, I got in a car accident in Moscow, and it damaged my esophagus. So it doesn't work very well. Sometimes it, the air moves the food, and sometimes it doesn't. And because of that, I, I have a cough, because the, the air doesn't move it, and the food gets stuck, and I will cough. And then it has to move, so I learned a lot about the air moving things through the esophagus. And then it has to move things through the stomach and the small intestines and the large intestines. And we all know what happens if the air doesn't move properly then. You know, we have problems with elimination. But this air moving everything, that is Krishna's joining with that. And we can be aware, you know. Actually, when I was getting all these tests done in my esophagus, I was seeing all these, like, um, I was working with this one therapist who was showing me these videos where you could see how we were chewing the food and the it's going. It's a very complicated mechanism. It's actually quite interesting to keep the food from going in the lungs. How is this air functioning? Because, you know, we have one pipe goes for both stomach and lungs, and it has to close it. As soon as we swallow, it closes. It's, it's actually quite interesting. And, but this is Krishna doing that. It's not just a mechanism. It's not just a machine. And Krishna is taking it and, and moving it through. And also the air is not only moving the food through, but it is combusting it. Because we know all fire needs oxygen. And the main reason we are breathing is to provide this oxygen 
for this digestion. It provides the oxygen for the digestion in our stomach, but it also provides the oxygen for the digestion in every cell of our body. Each cell in our body is a living being, and it also has to have its independent digestive function from that oxygen. And that is the means by which our body is transforming the food that we eat into our body. Yes, which is quite an incredible thing. If you, if you think, if you look right now at your hand and you think, yesterday this was a, a japati. At least for me, I ate a japati yesterday. I don't know. Whatever you ate yesterday. This was a carrot. Or Is that interesting? Look at your, do you understand English? The girls? Something. Something. And they're so well behaved, even though they don't understand. That's pretty extraordinary. <laughs> That's very extraordinary. So, if you, you know, do your nails look like carrots? I mean, how did that happen? <laughs> and even the plants that we're eating, they're transforming the sunlight. Everything we're eating is sunlight. Sunlight, water, and some little earth minerals. That's all it is. And our bodies are also that. <laughs> is that interesting? I mean, think you think about this. But, but everything is uh, Krishna, but because the sun is uh, energy of Krishna, so everything is Krishna. All these lovely Vaishnavas, Vaishnavas. <laughs> so our bodies are just, they're, they're made out of mostly sunlight, actually. And how does this take place? It takes place through this oxygen and through this movement of air. And we're just eating, you know, just and enjoying. And in, and in thinking, I am enjoying something. Any other thoughts on this? How Krishna joins with the air for digestion? I am the fire of digestion. That's another one. That's okay. But any other thoughts on the air of digestion? Oh, I like this one. Krishna says, I am the creation. I am creation. So in general, people are attracted and amazed by creativity or the power to take some components. You know what is components? Parts? And turn it into something uniquely beautiful. You all know what is uniquely? Okay. A unexpected or previously unthought of. So yesterday we were at the Super Soul and the devotee there, she's making all this beautiful artwork out of like mosaics and paintings. People like to watch and hear about life hacks, like 10 creative ways to use old clothing hangers, or anyone who does something amazingly creative. And we revel in our own creative energy, designing a new project, cooking something tasty, finding a new way to arrange the furniture. When we appreciate the flow of creative energy in ourselves and others, we can remember that Krishna says He is creation. That energy, 
that exuberance. You know what exuberance is? Like, that's exuberance. I don't know how to. <laughs> There's more. Exuberance is like hyper excitement. But it's not like wild. It's, it's, um, that's exuberance. That feeling of accomplishment, that is Krishna. Any other thoughts on how Krishna is creation? We have three aspects of, uh, of God. This is Brahman, this is Paramatma, and Bhagavan. This Brahman is creation. Nature, yeah. Yes? Some thought? Oh. Yes. To me, it's amazing that Krishna is uh, having his pastimes, while he's having pastimes, all this creation in the universe is going on the lotus and then the, the birth of. Brahma and uh, or or uh, you know from the from the navel of Vishnu and uh, the whole universes through the uh, uh, through sweating of, of <laughs> Vishnu and then Krishna is just playing there and all this grand scale creation of the universe is going, going on. And yes, Krishna says that his head are Brahmins. In Brahmanas. Yes. And uh, his, uh, I don't know, stomach is the Vaishas, uh, yes. And hands and uh, his legs are the Shujas. Yes. That we're, we re- we're writing about in the universal form section. But we can see that Krishna is the creation in the sense that he is creating all these different people in society. Any other thoughts on the Krishna is creation? Here is this child, you know, innocent child. She looks and she sees the whole the creation in his mouth. Someone does a, a perfect, uh, anything perfect, like a perfect uh, uh, music piece. Then that's in, it's a creation, and uh, the best uh, uh, what we have could hear from uh, that Mozart or someone of them, all of this, what he was creating, all his creation basically came from someone. He heard it. Yes. So, yes. Anything what is it's Krishna, yes. That creative energy, yes, very nice. Okay, resting place. Krishna says, I am the resting place. After working hard, we have a mat, a couch, a bed, or a chair as our resting place. On a journey, we may stop at government-provided rest areas on the road. Do you have them here? With grass, trees, picnic tables, maybe water. 
Perhaps we have a favorite place, a favorite piece of furniture, or both, that is our resting place. We may also have a resting place not just for the body, but for the mind, a tranquil state of mental peace to which we can go for inner space and privacy. Krishna in his form of Mahavishnu is the periodic resting place of the conditioned souls. Without the burden of any material body, any lifetime of family, duties and desires, the struggling souls rest in the Lord's body for relief. Daily sleep is a kind of resting place and reminds us of how Krishna creates the material cosmos in a trance-like state called Yoga Nidra, such that the material world can be said to be his dream. Whenever we find a place of repose, that means rest, we can meditate on how the Lord provides rest for even the most painful and difficult situations. Ultimately, although the spiritual world is a place of great activity, there is also total relief and rest from the grinding, wearing down struggle of a fallen soul trying vainly to be the Lord of matter. What an ultimate resting place Krishna is. Any thoughts on how Krishna is the resting place? or how our resting places can remind us of Krishna. Shelter from the material suffering. Shelter in general. Shelter in general, yeah. In all situations. Yes. Even if you're tired or exhausted or fried, if you're having a good meditation and good japa, you feel rested. Ah. Refreshed. Yes. Always. Yes. Maybe we'll do one more. <laughs> okay, Krishna says he's the support. Support can be seen at all levels of society and the natural world. In a gross sense, we can meditate on Krishna's support by looking at our houses and other buildings. So we have a house here we can look at. How arches are built to rest, sometimes without mortar, one stone on top of the other. We can see Krishna even in the cement used to stick bricks together in the foundation and also in the roof beams supporting the roof of the house. In a subtler sense, we can see Krishna in the support 
that the natural world gives each other, how mammals help each other to raise their young, and so forth. On the internet, there are so many videos of strangers giving support to helpless people and changing their lives. Under all this is Krishna and his unwavering support for us. His support is our strength, and our lack of support in whatever way leads to crumbling of the bricks, to discord between family members. But Krishna is always there. Whenever we see any real support... Whoops! She lost her support there. Are you okay? Krishna is still there. You can sit down and be on your resting place, but don't sit on the end, sit in the middle. We can, are you okay? We can meditate on the fact that Krishna is our ever-present support. That was a very good demonstration. You timed that perfectly. Very nice. All right, what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to ask everybody, you can take one of the ones we said tonight or you can take another one you know of from the Bhagavad Gita or for the Bhagavatam, how Krishna says that he is in the world. And I'd like us each to think right first to ourselves and then share with another person. So what are we going to choose for the rest of the day today and tomorrow? Just the rest of the day today, it's about quarter after seven now, from now until we go to sleep. And tomorrow, what will we think about in the world to remind us of Krishna? So if you could take just a few minutes, first think to yourself, and then once you've decided, please share with the person next to you. So anything that anybody would like to add to this discussion before we end for tonight? Whatever you would like. If you want to discuss what you will think about, or any other comments that you want to make, or anything at all. Yes? Yeah, I would, but then if there is someone else, because I know a lot of questions. I know, I, I had, you, thank you very much for this uh, last meditation to think what we will uh, have as a meditation for reminding us for Krishna. It's so good. Because I never came to this in my life, and now I said, yes, what I can do it, and it came like lighting, and uh, as you said in the beginning, and it's practically, it can be my son, because he's very playful and he's mischievous sometimes and he's dark. So <laughs> You know, it's very nice you said that, because when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu saw the son of Maharaj Prataparudra, he also said like that. He said, this boy is dark, and he immediately reminds us of Krishna. Very nice. And what I find with, with children, because children are generally very captivating, is what I find that children are very captivating. And we can think, you know, if, if I can be so captivated by this child, how much would I be captivated by Krishna? Anybody else like to add something?
Everybody's hungry. I think on those airs. On the digestive airs. And fire of digestion. We didn't even talk about the fire of digestion. We didn't get that far. After prasadam. So if we if we make an effort, sadhana bhakti means we make some effort. So if we make some effort, that everything that we do, that we think, that we see, that we hear, that we touch, everything can remind us of Krishna. Not only that I think of Krishna when I'm seeing the deity or when I'm chanting japa or when I'm reading the Bhagavatam, but that I should be reminded of Krishna always because he is giving us so many ways to think of him. And I, I really invite everybody to, to take some time to explore these verses in the Gita and in the Bhagavatam and pick ones that you... and then think about it. You know? How is this like Krishna? How is this like Krishna? How is Krishna? And then you find, the, as Prabhupada says in chapter 20 of Krishna book, that the materialists see the world as a very aggressive place, but to the devotees, everything is happily situated. So thank you. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. 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 Jai.